in life, uh, uh, we sometimes are in these uh, decisions where uh, it's kind of tough, right? We, we come to a decision that, that we're in this rock and a hard place, if you will, uh, where uh, you have these two choices, but you don't know which one uh, you should do. And a lot of times when I get in those situations, I know that uh, I tend to take a long time to make the decision, okay? Uh, I, I look at every option. I, I don't try to be impulsive when I know it's going to hurt no matter which decision I choose. Uh, and maybe you've been in those type of situations before where uh, you weren't sure which way to go. And, and when we look at the life uh, of the Israelites, we see that uh, the story of Elijah is one of those situations where uh, they are presented a choice and they uh, are silent. They, they don't know which one they are supposed to choose. And so we want to kind of look at that today, uh, see uh, how they made their decision. So we're in the story of Elijah. We're going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18 today. Um, and so we want you to, to turn around there with us and, and follow along uh, as we study uh, this question of what do we do? How do we make these uh, tough decisions? Uh, context for us, uh, if you remember from last week, uh, we, we saw the story of Elijah begin. Uh, he is in the uh, northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, it's a, a, a bad period. They, they've had a succession of kings uh, that were considered wicked, and the king that they currently have uh, is Ahab, and he is the worst of them all. Uh, if you remember from 1 Kings 16, uh, it says that Ahab uh, was more wicked than everybody else. He he thought trivial the sins of his father, and he even went beyond that. Uh, and so that's kind of where they're at. The, the big thing uh, that they're being judged for is they have the Israelites as a nation have turned from, away from the Lord and have turned to Baal uh, and his consort Asherah. Uh, and so these two gods uh, of uh, the Canaanites, uh, of, the nor- of the people in that region, uh, have become the uh, gods of uh, Israel for whatever reason. And Ahab, uh, he has kind of instigated this. He has built more and more. He has done all these things. And as punishment for that, we saw Elijah come onto the scene and say, uh, there is not going to be rain until I pray that there's going to be rain. And so uh, there's this drought. And Baal, if you remember, is the god of storms. And so this is a direct uh, attack on Baal and, and what he stands for. All right, now, uh, by the time we get to, to the chapter we're, we're in, in 18, uh, it's been three and a half years. And we know, uh, because we have the hindsight of history, that it's about to end. We're going to see rain by the end of this chapter. All right, but the Israelites that are living in this time period, they don't know that. All right, they just know that it's been three and a half years. Things have gone from bad to worse. They haven't been able to grow cops, uh, and, and they are starting to get a little hungry. All right, and so they, they don't know how much longer it's going to be. All right, and so things are desperate for them. Uh, we see uh, a couple of things uh, also happening that we're not necessarily going to read. Uh, in verse 4, we are told that Jezebel, uh, who is the queen of a- uh, Ahab's queen, uh, she has decided to take an extermination uh, role against the uh, prophets of the Lord. So she's going out, finding the prophets of the Lord, and she's killing them off. For whatever reason, we're not necessarily told other than she's a pretty bad lady, okay? Uh, don't name your children Jezebel. It's not a good thing, all right? All right, so it's, it's, it's just one of those things that's happening. Um, 
around. Now Ahab, uh, he has his own concerns, and we're going to read in verse 5 that Ahab uh, goes to uh, a guy by the name of Obadiah, not the one that wrote the book Obadiah, but this is uh, a guy that is in the service of Ahab. He's secretly a worship uh, worshiper of the Lord. He's hiding, uh, I think, about 500 prophets of the Lord, if that is correct. Let me see, 50, 100 prophets, I, I lied, 100 prophets, 50 two caves. All right, and, and Ahab goes to Obadiah and he says this, go uh, through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and the mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. All right, and you can just kind of see uh, where Ahab is focused, okay? He is not focused on the survival of his people. He's focused on himself, right? He says to Obadiah, let's go to all these places. It's not rain. There's hardly any grass. Let's go find all these springs and valleys and see if maybe we can keep our horses and our animals alive so we don't have to kill them. All right, and so that's kind of what his focus is. His mentality is not about his people. Uh, it's about himself. And so they go out. Uh, Obadiah goes in one direction. Ahab goes in the other. And while Obadiah is, is traveling, he comes across Elijah. And Elijah says to him, Obadiah, can you go tell Ahab I'm going to meet him over here? And Obadiah is like, uh, I don't know if I can do that. All right, Obadiah is kind of afraid that if Elijah doesn't show up and he brings up the name Elijah to Ahab, that Ahab's going to be very mad at him and kill him off. All right, but Elijah says, no, no, I promise I'll be there. I know you guys are looking for me. I, I'll be where I say I'm going to be. And so he goes off, uh, and, we're, and that's where we're going to kind of pick up the story starting in verse 16. So uh, Obadiah goes, uh, he meets with Ahab, and he told him... Uh, about Elijah. And so Elijah went to meet, or Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? All right. So we can kind of see where Ahab's feeling towards Elijah is, right? All right. Does he like him? Uh, no, not really, right? He, he thinks that Ahab, or Elijah is the reason why they're having all these problems. And, you know, in his mentality, I don't know that we can really fault him entirely, all right? Elijah's come onto the scene, said it's not going to rain until he prays for rain to happen. And so uh, all this trouble that's been abounding throughout Israel, probably people starving to death, uh, people really, really hungry if, at the least, all right? And, and Elijah has seen this and hasn't done anything about it, all right? And so, so when Ahab comes, he's like, it's your fault that these things are happening. However, that's... Uh, is kind of misplaced. So, because uh, Elijah is going to say this uh, in verse 18, he says, I'm not the one that's made trouble for Israel, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. And so, uh, we kind of see here something that I think happens with us. All right, we don't always like to blame ourselves for problems. I, I know I do this from time to time, you know, I, I, something will go wrong, maybe it could be trivial, it could be small, and rather than saying, you know what, that was my fault that that happened, I rather, I, I, I'm, I have the tendency at least to say, well, it was probably this, or it was probably that, or maybe it was someone else, and, and we blame the situations and the people that are, are causing the problems, rather than taking a look at ourselves at maybe the, the cause of the problem. And I think that's what's happening here with Ahab. 
He is looking at the situation, and he doesn't want to take blame for himself for the faults that he has with causing all these things to happen. And so he's looking for someone else to blame. And the person he chooses to blame is Elijah. Elijah, you're here. You're the one who's caused all these things. It's your fault. You're the troubler of Israel. And Elijah says, now wait a minute. It's not me. It's you. If you hadn't turned to the bells, if you hadn't stopped following the Lord, this judgment upon you and your nation would not have happened. And so Ahab has this problem, and I think sometimes uh, we can relate in that we don't like to blame ourselves. And so Elijah, we have these two different opposite uh, places we're at, right? We have, okay, is it Elijah that's at fault? He is the worshiper of the Lord, or is it Ahab, the worshiper of Rebel? Who's at fault? And, and they're kind of just pointing fingers at each other right now, right? It's your fault, it's your fault, it's your fault. And so there has to be a decision. And so uh, Elijah says, you know what? We're talking about gods. Gods are powerful. Let's take it to them. And so in verse 19, he says, now let's summon all the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel. And while we're there, you can bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so he basically says, let's solve this. You know, let's let Israel decide. Let's bring everybody to Mount Carmel. Let's uh, talk to them. You know, it'll be me. I'm the only one versus 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. All right. So Ahab, he agrees to this. And why wouldn't you, right? If it was one guy arguing against 850, who do you think is going to win? The 850 is where I have my money on, right? If it was in that case. If there was one guy arguing, uh, this, is, this is probably something Ahab's like, okay, that's fine. We got you in a single place. We're going we're gonna to win this. And so they go out and they uh, gather all the Israelites and they head out to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel uh, is a location. It's, 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 not, it's more like a plateau more than necessarily a peaked mountain, uh, but it's up in the northern uh, western part of Israel, right on the coast, uh, and, and, and uh, I wish I had a picture of it, but I don't. All right, so uh, verse 21, uh, we're going to pick up there. Everybody's gathered around, uh, and so uh, Elijah, once he sees everybody, he says to them, how long will you waver between two opinions? All right, so the Israelites are in this hard, hard rock place in, in a hard spot, all right? I said that backwards. Anyway, you know what I mean. They're in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. They are wavering between which God they are supposed to worship. And he says, if the Lord is God, follow him. If it is Baal, if Baal is God, follow him. He says, you cannot waver between these two. You have to choose who is God. Now, we... Uh, tend to read thing. Our English is very bad when it comes to translation, and so uh, I think we need to look at a couple of different words uh, that are popping up in this verse so that we can kind of understand, because uh, typically when we read something, we, we interpret it a certain way. And so uh, let's look at a couple of these words. Uh, the first word I want us to make sure that we need to know in this passage is Baal. 
All right, uh, Baal uh, was the storm god of Canaan. Canaan. Uh, it, it originally the word meant Lord, Master, Sir. All right, and so every once in a while you'll come across a name in the uh, Bible uh, in the Old Testament, especially older. All right, that has the name Baal in it. All right, and it just means that they're a master. A king, usually it's a king that has this name or a, or a prince. All right, and you'll see this, okay? Uh, Baal, uh, he was the main idol at the time that the Israelites are following. So when he's talking about Baal, uh, he's talking about this Canaanite god, uh, fertility of storms uh, that, that causes crops to grow. All right, the second name that we need to know is Lord. Now, if you look in your Bibles you'll probably see something peculiar about this name. All right, when you look at it, what do you see? It's in all caps. Thank you, Miss Judy. All right, it's in all caps. And, and this is uh, very important, okay? The Hebrews, uh, they, when they read their Old Testament, uh, they took very seriously uh, the commandments in the Ten Commandments that says, you shall not take the, misuse the name of the Lord your God. All right, and so what did that mean? Well, they took it to the extreme that you could not even say the name of the Lord, okay? And the name of the Lord uh, was Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on how you want to translate it, okay? And so when they came across this word in their Bibles, because they would actually, they would write it as they're writing it out, but they wouldn't say the name, all right? They wouldn't say Yahweh. They wouldn't say Jehovah. Instead, they would say something else, uh, either Adonai uh, or Elohim. All right, and, and Adonai was the primary one that they chose, okay? And Adonai means Lord. And so when we come to translate it, we don't translate it Yahweh or Jehovah. Instead, we translate it Lord. And so to let you know that we're talking about Yahweh compared to Adonai, all right, the different words, the uh, word will be in all caps if it's talking about Yahweh. All right, so every time you read in your Bible and you see Lord in all caps, what it's actually saying is this word is Yahweh, but they said it as Adonai. Okay, make sense? Just shake your head if you, you think you somewhat understand. Okay, so when, when he comes up and he asks the question, is the Lord God? All right, he's saying, is Yahweh God? Right? Who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve Baal or are you going to serve Yahweh? Right? You, you have to choose. The, the, second word, the third word that we need to understand is this capital G God word. All right? uh, this, um, in the context that he's using, is talking about who is the primary deity we worship. All right. When we when we read this, it kind of doesn't make sense sometimes. Right. When we read it's the Lord God. Well, yeah, the Lord is God. All right. As Christians uh, set set three thousand years from the time of this, these events, two and a half. Yeah. Three thousand years. We can kind of muddle in our minds, especially since we're talking English compared to Hebrew. All right. And so when we read this, we don't I don't think we read this right. We have to understand that he's asking a question here. All right. The, the primary deity that we're going to worship, who is it? That's the question, all right? And he's not saying, is the Lord God? He's saying, is Yahweh the primary deity we worship? Or is Baal the primary deity we worship? Which one is it? 
Right? And so I think if we read this question correctly, we can kind of make more sense of it. Because right? I, I think when we read it, we're kind of confused, okay? especially when we capitalize God at some places and not at others in this passage. Right? And so we, we need to understand what's being said here. All right, so he's asking this question, all right, they, it's a choice. I mean, this is classical Hebrew. Every time in the Old Testament you get to these people uh, that are falling away from God, that are going after other gods, they're offered this choice. Who are you going to choose? All right, uh, no, uh, Moses did it. He, he got to the Israelites at the end of his life in Deuteronomy. He says, I set before you now a, a choice, life or death. Choose life that you might live. Right, Joshua, he gathers the people at the end of his life. He puts them on two different mounts, and he says, okay, you have a choice. Are you going to follow God and receive blessings, or are you going to follow not God, the idols that your fathers worshipped before? And you got this choice, but as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. All right, and so this is the classic Hebrew choice, right? Who are you going to serve? And so uh, Elijah is standing before the Israelites. He's watched them all his life, worship the Baals, and turn away from the Lord. And now they are, they are starting to kill the prophets of Yahweh. And he's asking them, who are you going to choose? You have a choice. Is Yahweh the primary deity we worship? Or is Baal the primary deity you're going to worship? Choose. How long are you going to waver? See, I think the thing that we often miss in the worship of the Lord, in the worship of Yahweh, is that He is a God that doesn't want part of you. All right, The God that we serve, He wants all of you or He doesn't want any of you. And I think as Christians living in this world, we have this same choice presented to us. Are we going to worship God in every aspect of our lives? Because if we choose not to give Him every aspect, if we choose not to give Him not just Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, if we choose not to give Him the workplace that we work in or the homes that we're a part of, if we choose not to give all, God all of us, we are very much like these Israelites wavering between two different deities that we worship. And the question that Elijah asked the Israelites so many years ago, I think is a question very much relevant to us. How long, James says, will you be double-minded? How long will you waver between worshiping Yahweh or worshiping whatever it is that you worship? Now that could be that could be the gods of this world. I mean, we more likely don't have an idol hiding in our houses, right? All right? That's not necessarily what we're talking about here, but we're talking about these gods of money and where we allowed greed and gluttony to control all aspects of our lives. Maybe, maybe it's about popularity and we want other people to like us. You know, maybe, maybe it's about sex for you. Maybe you are, you're driven by these things. Maybe you're driven by the approval of others. Whatever it is, how long are you going to waver between serving God with all aspects of who you are or not. And the response that I think we often give 
when we're asked this question is the response that the Israelites give. There's silence. I mean, this is a tough place to be in. And God wants all of us, the Lord, Yahweh wants all of us, but we don't always want to give in, so we just don't give an answer. And that's what's happening here. And Elijah, I think, is a little upset with them. Because I, I feel like he gets a little angry. In verse 20, uh, 20 through 2, he comes up with them and he says to them, you know, I'm the only one that of the Yahweh's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. You guys get two bulls. Let's bell prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it up into pieces, put it on wood, set, but do not set it on fire. I will prepare another bull, put it on wood, but do, I will not set it on fire. And then we'll call on the names of our gods. And I, or you will call on your name of your God, and I'll call on the name of, the, of Yahweh. All right? The God who answers the fire, he is the primary deity we should worship. And so he says to them, you guys aren't answering me. I'm asking this question, but you guys don't have an answer. So, you know what? I got, I got an idea. Let's, let's just put it to a test. And so he, we get into this, what's called the Battle of Mount Carmel. And he says, you guys are going to get a bull. You guys are going to prepare it. There's 450 of you guys. This should be easy for you. I'm going to get one. I'm going to prepare it the way that God says to prepare it. And I'll pray and you pray. And whoever's deity sets it on fire first, that is the one we should worship. And everyone's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's just do it that way. All right, we don't really want to answer it, uh, so, so we'll, we'll just do it this way. And so uh, Elijah turns to the prophets of Baal, and he says, you know what, you guys get to go first. Uh, and so they go, and they do everything, they prepare it, and then they begin to uh, shout to Baal. They say, Baal, answer us! All right, 450 guys doing this, okay? That's a lot of like, people shouting, right? I, I just, I don't picture them shouting at the same time, so I just hear this mumble in my, my head as I'm, I'm reading this. There is a big, loud noise happening. Uh, and we're told that they begin to dance around probably some kind of, uh, of uh, uh, ceremonial dance to, to cause uh, Bell to answer, but nothing happens. There's no answer. And they do this from morning until noon. All right, so... so you know, let's just say three hours. All right, for three hours they've been doing this, and nothing happens. And, and Elijah, I think, thinks it's comical because he begins to taunt them. He says, "Guys, you got you got to be louder than that. You know, he's a god. He, he's he's probably deep in thought. You got to awake him, stir him from his thinking process. You know what? He might even be traveling across the land. You know, you know." He, uh, he, he's just not paying attention. You got, you got to pay, get him. You know what, guys? You know what I think he's doing? I think he's using the restroom. When, that, when it says busy, that's what he's talking about. All right. I, you, need to, you need to get his attention louder. And so they begin to shout louder. I mean, already 450 people shouting, and now they're shouting even louder, and they begin to cut themselves because that's how you get a God to answer you, right? All right? And so they're, they're doing all these crazy things. It's driving them into a frenzy. And I love what the passage says here. It says there was no answer. No one responded. No one paid attention. I, I just think that's an awesome way to sum this up. And, and they've been doing this from, from early in the morning, and we're told it's until the evening sacrifice. So they've been doing this all day. And I think Elijah lets them. 
to, to drive home his point to the Israelites. See, you, too often they're standing between this, this, okay, is Bel God or is Yahweh God? And, and, and they couldn't answer. And so they sit here and they watch 450 prophets of Bel worship their God all day, and there is no response. And, and I don't know enough about Bel worship, uh, but I would assume that they taught that if the prophets of Bel prayed to Bel, that Bel would answer them. And so having 450 of the top guys praying and answering and having no response, I think it drove home Elijah's points. Bell isn't going to help you. So Elijah, he, he, uh, in verse 30, says, guys, come to me. All right, and and he, he draws them back to himself, and he begins to set up his worship. Uh, it says that there's an altar of the Lord there that had been torn down, probably from disuse, maybe even from the time of Jezebel as she tries to drive away Yahweh worship. And he begins to rebuild this altar, and he puts wood on it, and then he, he puts the cow on it the way it's supposed to be done, and he digs this trench around this. And then he does something that, that is very lavish, all right? If you remember, it's been three and a half years since it's rained. And so he says, guys, I need four big jars of water. All right, not, not like cups, all right, jars. All right, and they go out and they get this jar, and then he pours it onto his, his sacrifice. And I think it's lavish because he's saying, look, it doesn't matter if you don't have water. Here I'm wasting all this precious water, putting it on my altar. And it's very poignant because, you know, water doesn't burn. If, if we do a bonfire and we don't want it to spread, we spray water around the area that we don't want to catch fire, right? All right if a house is on fire, they might even spray the house next door to keep it from catching on fire. All right? And, and it, water doesn't burn. And so he's doing this. All right? And as the fourth one gets poured out, he says, I need, I need, it. I need you guys to do it again. And so they go on, they get in, they do it again. And he does it one more time. So there's 12 total water. It says that it's dripping with water. And the trent that he had ditched was full of water. And then he does something very different than everybody else. Different than what the Baal worshipers did. Verse 36. He said, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and he prayed. Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Yahweh, answer me so these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Right? And we remember the 450 Baal worshipers, they're shouting. They're yelling at the top of their lungs. And they have not gotten an answer. And here Elijah steps up and he just prays. I, I think he prays loud enough that, that some of the people can hear him, but he's not shouting. And in answer, God sends fire down and it consumes the entire sacrifice. It says it burns the wood, the, 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 the bull, the water, the stones, everything that, that was there. He answered. One guy's prayer. Now, I think often in our lives, we don't have answers because we are crying out to the wrong gods. 
I think in our lives, we are in this hard place between worshiping Yahweh or, or worshiping other gods, and I think far too often we turn to these other gods to have our prayers answered. We want things to happen. We want things to, to, to go well in our lives. And I think far too often we are so focused on these things over here that we forget that we have a God that loves us so much. And I think sometimes we, we cry out to these false gods in wrong ways. We're, we're like the prophets of Baal, shouting at the top of our lungs to these gods that are not there, that do not answer, that are not paying attention. And we're all alone. And I think far too often we're crying out with the wrong crowd, not with followers of Yahweh, but with these prophets of Baal and with these Israelites and standing with the crowd and wanting our prayers answered, but they don't happen. This is where I think Elijah is different. And Elijah is the one that we should imitate. He, he had courage to stand up against the popularity of the crowds. And he cried out to the true Yahweh, the true God of the Israelites. And that was where his focus was. And we see in response to everything in verse 39, the people fall down prostrate and they begin to cry out, Yahweh, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And I think when we get to this situation where we're stuck in between these two different choices and we uh, just kind of sit here and don't want to answer, I think sometimes God comes in and says, you know what, here's proof. And we are left prostrate crying out, Lord, He is God. So the question I have for you is this. How long will you waver? I mean, you have the same choice the Israelites have. Is Yahweh God or is whatever else you're following God? And the question that I think God wants us to know is this. Are you going to follow God with everything that you are or are you going to waver in between these two and kind of be stuck in the middle? And if you're stuck in the middle, I think too often in the New Testament, we are told that God doesn't want that. That he's going to spew you from his mouth. If you're stuck in the middle, it is the same as being not for God. And so you must choose. Are you going to be fully for God or not? Are you going to be all in or all out? Because you can't stand on the fence and expect to make it to heaven. You need to be all in. Because that's who we need to be as Christians. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it's not always easy to, to fully devote ourselves to you. In this world where it's not always the popular choice, sometimes it's, it's just easier not to make a choice. God, when those times come where we're stuck in this place trying to decide if we're all for you or not, I pray that we will be reminded of the story where Elijah proves without a doubt that you, the Lord, are God. I pray in our lives that we'll examine the, the various things that we worship, and I pray that we will be focused wholly on you in all aspects, give you every part of our lives, everything that we do, our speech, our thoughts, our work, 
our homes, our family. I pray that we'll be totally focused on serving you with who we are. I pray, God, that we will shun those gods that come in and that we divert our attention from you and, and what you want in our lives. Help us, Father, to make the declaration that you are God with courage in this world. I ask these things in your name. Amen.